This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Chris Cage from greenbelly.co explains how he started a digital nomad business traveling from Medellin to Austin to Chiang Mai, Thailand. In this episode, you'll learn from a Shopify Build a Business winner that believes that talking to customers one-on-one helped them build a $1.7 million business. In this episode, you'll learn how to get feedback from products that you give away for free, how to look out for predatory vendors when you're just starting up, and what makes a high-converting Kickstarter video. Today, I'm joined by John and Claire Easley from Carbon6Rings.com. That's C-A-R-B-O-N, the number six, R-I-N-G-S.com. Carbon6 sells forged carbon fiber, jewelry, handcrafted in America, and started in 2015 and based out of Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, John and Claire. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, Felix. Good. Hey, cool. So excited to have you guys on. So, you know, just to kind of put it out there, you guys were one of the winners of the Shopify Build a Business competition, one of the most recent one. And we'll definitely dive into that in a little bit. But uh, let's start off by talking about your story. You know, tell us a little bit about the the brand and uh, what are some of the products that you sell? All right. Oh, so we started uh, because I lost my wedding ring a couple of years ago and I uh, didn't know of a ring on the market that would really work uh, with uh, the type of things that I did. Um, and so I was looking into materials that I thought would function. You know, I was studying as a mechanical engineer and we were started working on carbon fiber and I liked the idea of something that was light and strong and had two elements, you know, the carbon fiber and the resin that were strong in different ways. But when they came together, they would form something that was stronger than either of them could have been separately. And so we started to develop a process, uh, called forged carbon fiber that was used by Larry McGinney about 2000. It's still used by Larry McGinney started in 2010. And, uh, you know, I, I worked on it, developed it and started making rings from it. And, uh, then we made a Kickstarter. Kickstarter was successfully funded in July and, uh, after that, we've been selling through uh, Shopify ever since. Very cool. So, what's your background? Like, how did you get into creating these rings? You, so, you lost your wedding ring, and then you just like picked up this skill, or did you already have a background in creating things like this? Well, it was kind of uh, neat how it came together uh, because uh, most of the things that it took to make the ring had come from different events that had happened in my life. Like, uh, I learned how to turn uh things on a wood lathe um and uh and so that helped me to understand what it would take to make a ring and uh i learned in a machine shop how to make uh, a circle concentric inside of another circle which is something you have to do for a ring how to make a radius in a machine shop and learned how to make things flat as i worked in the machine shop and and then in school i i learned how to uh to program machines to help to shape things to to design something take something that's in your mind and put it on a computer screen and then communicate that to a machine to be able to cut a shape and make tooling and and also I had I had experience working with carbon fiber because of school and and making molds and shapes uh, out of it and so it's almost as if uh, you know the, the events that happened in my life sort of uh, made it organic or natural to go to move into this this uh, world of making jewelry 
Mm, very cool. So you already had some experience here. What what made you think that uh, were you just creating this for yourself, or did you this experience of wanting a new ring did that kick off some kind of uh, I guess intu- not intuition, but some some uh, motivation to start a business, or did you first create the rings for yourself and then find out that there was a business potential behind it? I had always wanted to do a business. Um, uh, my father was a he is a business owner and my grandfather was a business owner and my grandfather before that, uh, when he came into the port of new Orleans from Sicily, he opened his own business. And so I always wanted to start my own business. And, and as I would look at things in the world, I would think about what I could make. And if I liked that thing and, and if it would make a good business. And, and, and so when I lost my wedding ring, I recognized that, uh, there was a need for something that, uh, would work for someone that worked with their hands and, and uh, and wanted something that had meaning and could symbolize uh, the relationships that they were in. And so uh, I, I started to think about the ring and can I make a ring that would help people remember the promises they made and that would be attractive and not get in the way when they were working or possibly um, uh, make sure that, that it wasn't dangerous to, to hurt them, like a so gold ring. If you have a gold ring, you can't really be a welder because it could arc and it would hurt you. And most of the metal rings, if they get smashed, they get stuck in your hand and you have to cut them off, which doesn't happen with carbon fiber. So, so I, I saw, I knew that I wanted to do a business and I saw that there was something in carbon fiber that could symbolize a relationship and would work for the kinds of uh, uh, activities that I did and the work that I did. Uh, and so I started to focus my desire to start a business on making the carbon fiber ring work. And that was, that's what led me to the forge carbon process because it made something that was strong and beautiful. And I thought meaningful. And, uh, and so here we are now. Mm-hmm. So when you created these, did you uh, sell any of them before launching that Kickstarter campaign? I, um, did not sell any of them. I, I gave them away to people. I made hundreds of them. And, and so I had a lot of friends and, uh, people even that I didn't know that I would just give rings to and uh they would wear them around and tell me what they thought about it and and how they worked and how i could change it and that gave me an idea for if there was some kind of desire for people if they were comfortable if they would break or if they didn't work in certain situations and then it also gave me practice making the rings which uh which was necessary because it took a lot of a lot of time to figure out how to do it so you, you said that you um, gave these uh, rings away initially. Were you looking to get feedback or like how did you know uh, or what was the purpose behind giving all of these, uh, you know, essentially these products that you created away? Oh, I gave them away because, yes, I wanted feedback. I wanted people to, um, to wear the rings and to see how they worked in the activities in their lives and also to get feedback on what they thought about uh, how they looked, what they felt like when they wore them, things I could do to change the design to make it more comfortable. So I um, recognized that there was a need for me to get information on uh, how people felt about the ring, how the ring performed in the world, and so I thought it was worth the cost of the materials and the cost of my time, which was significant, to be able to get that information. Yeah, no, this is definitely a step that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, take early on when they are developing their own products just to 
give it away, put it into the hands of their target customers, and then get the feedback. And one of the situations for you is that this ring is not just you know a ring for looks, but it's also like you're alluding to, it's very functional. It can be used in different environments, but you're not always going to be there, right? Or maybe you'll never be in those environments with them at the time that they are kind of getting the true value out of your product. So how do you make sure that you get the feedback that you need out of them? You know, you give them the product and they kind of have to go off and live their lives before they recognize, you know, what potential problems they might have with it or potential benefits that they really like about it that you can use in your marketing or in your branding. Uh, but again, that all comes without you being around. So how did you make sure you got the feedback that you needed out of them? Uh, most of the people that we gave the rings to uh, were uh, friends or uh, relatives of friends in, um, in the town that we lived in. And so uh, it was a small town, so we would give the rings away. And then almost certainly we'd end up running into that person again later on. And And so one of the first things I would look for was, are they wearing the ring today? So if mm. I gave them the ring two weeks ago or a couple days ago or a month ago, um, when I run into them at the park walking the dog, are they wearing the ring? And, uh, and so usually they wore, if they weren't, you know, ask why. And, uh, and then uh, I gave the ring away to people that did different activities than I did. So uh, some people were cyclists or they went hiking or did outdoors things. Uh, uh, some of them worked in wood shops and uh, in metal shops, uh, some of the guys did. So uh, I would ask them how they worked in those areas around the different um, environments. Because there's lots of things in this world that affect everything differently. So, so gold is pretty great because it's something that doesn't corrupt. And so if you get salt on it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't rust. Uh, if, you, um, if, if you were to work with acid or solvents, nothing happens. Uh, but if you have a steel ring, a stainless steel ring, if you got acid around it or, or even salt, eventually it would rust or corrode. If you have a brass or copper thing, then it will just turn your hand green no matter what. Uh, and so I wanted to know how carbon fiber acted in these environments, which, you know, I was able to find out that it was uh, functional in, uh, in most of them. If you work with solvents, though, uh, like with uh, tetrachlorofluoride or acetone, then that would affect the finish of the rings. And, and so to get that information, to give the rings away and give them to people that did things different than what I did, helped me understand that. So if you worked in a, in a let's say, a, a nail salon, <laughs> then uh, you wouldn't want to wear the forged carbon fiber ring while you're working with acetone because it would damage the resin inside the ring. Mm. So was there an amount of time that you needed to wait before you got their feedback? Because you can't just give them the ring and then check in with them the next day, right? How long did you have to wait? Or typically, how long did you have to wait before following up with them? Yeah, it was typically about two weeks. Um, uh, so I would, uh, yeah, it was like a two-week or a couple-month period when I would just follow up or see them out somewhere to, to get that information. Mm-hmm. And do you remember any key feedback or information that you got out of these uh, you know, early testers that made you actually go back and change any features of the product? Oh, yeah, sure. So some of the, um, uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, one of the things that happened was uh, I was using a, a bonding agent on the, to bond the glow insert to the forged carbon fiber shell because our rings have two parts, uh, the part on the inside that glows and the part on the outside is the forged carbon. Uh, on some of the models and uh, some of the bonding agent we were using was uh, wasn't working uh, wasn't bonding to the resin insert and so they were falling out so that helped me to understand that we needed to change to a different resin and so we were able to do that and then another part we were uh, adding color to the rings we were putting uh, a dye on the 
on the insert to make it to where it was the color that it uh, glowed whenever it wasn't glowing. So in the daylight, you could still see a ring that had color on the inside. But we found that as people wore those rings, some of the dye, even though it was supposedly permanent, was leaking off onto their hands. And so we had to stop doing that. And the manufacturing process is full of things like that. There's so many uh, complications that can happen, especially when you're working with new materials that uh, you can't exactly look up online or inside a book how they'll react to each other. So we had to find a, a bonding agent that bonded to carbon fiber and also to silver. And so uh, we needed someone to help test those things. And the only way to get that data is by giving a lot of rings away. How long did this, uh, I guess, period of testing go on? Like how long did you uh, run these uh, giveaways, not giveaways, how long did you give away these products for free, get their feedback and go through these iterations? Like how many times or how long did it take before you were comfortable to move on to the next stage, which I guess is to the Kickstarter stage? Yes, yes. So we started, I started to develop rings that I could give away February of 2015. And so we started giving those away. And then um, by June, uh, we felt comfortable enough with the model to go ahead and run the Kickstarter and develop that campaign. Um, there were still things that came up after that that, uh, that we didn't realize. Whenever we scaled, like after the Kickstarter, we had uh, more orders than we supposed. And some of the processes that I developed uh, worked when I was making the rings individually. But when I had to teach other people and make uh, more rings per day, than I could make by myself, some of the processes didn't scale well. And so I had to develop more things and, and more problems came up. And so we're always developing, uh, finding out new ways to make things better and stronger and, and, uh, and, uh, and even new products. Mm. So it's, it's still happening now, us making, uh, trying to make things better, but we were comfortable and we had a good product, uh, you know, in June of last year. And then we ran the Kickstarter in July. Yeah, I think this is um, a stage that a lot of entrepreneurs get kind of stuck in. It seemed like you kind of went through pretty quickly. You know, it all happened within, it sounded like, you know, six months or less uh, for you to go from this uh, stage where you're giving out free products to a stage where you felt like it was commercial ready and ready for the, the market to see it. How did you know that it was, like you're saying though, you're always iterating and I think that's the, the case for any new any product, always constantly trying to prove it. But how did you know that you're ready to, you know, ship this product and put it out into the market? Like what about that particular iteration made you say, you know what, this is, good enough to go to market? Oh, I, I think what made uh, that iteration work was that um, uh, like some of the earlier iterations we were having trouble with uh, there being voids in the rings or, or seam lines or a way for it to um, uh, or not uh, consistent shapes. And uh, so the biggest thing was that we were able to consistently make rings that looked the same and that had uh, quality that uh, looked and felt right to us. Mm-hmm. And did you do all of this on the side or was this like your full-time focus at the time when you were creating these rings and, and uh, testing them out? Well, I actually, uh, one of the things that I did to uh, make this happen, once I decided I wanted to make rings, and I had done this with other products that I wanted to, to try to sell eventually, was I would um, make sure that my products in class and school lined up with the, the things that I was making. And so, so I was taking a class on uh, how to uh, design uh, products and and understand what people would want in the market and how to get it out to them and and so I made my project a uh, carbon fiber project mm. and I was working in a class that taught us how to work on machines and shape things and make molds and and so the mold that I made in that class was a mold for carbon fiber rings 
and so I tried to to make to make it to where the things I was studying in school I I were applicable to this uh, goal or dream I had to to sell rings to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing. I think that that's a, a great attribute in in an entrepreneur is being able to recognize that there are opportunities where you can get double the benefits, right? You're going to, to school, going to these classes, might as well find a way to take classes, put yourself in situations that can then benefit your product creation or your marketing or helping you learn how to run a business. So I think uh, that's, a, that's a, a great kind of piece of advice for anyone out there that is trying to balance two things. Even if it's a job, you can try to find ways to position yourselves, put yourself in, in a particular uh, role or, or job that, that helps you uh, learn the skills or build the techniques or learning techniques to apply to your business. So you were, you were creating these, uh, these products, going through these iterations prior to going to Kickstarter. Do you remember how much, you know, investment you had to put into this early on? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was about, um, around $8,500, uh, in just the debt. Um, in time I, I was doing probably about 40 hours a week working on it. And, uh, yeah. So it was around $8,500, mm-hmm. uh, before. Kickstarter ran, and eventually I, I uh, did get academically suspended from school in exchange for spending too much time on <laughs> wow. the product and not enough on uh, doing the homework. So uh, that was a sacrifice too. Yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, but it's a choice I made, and I, it was risky for us to get into credit card debt without any kind of promise of reward, and uh, it was also a cost uh, that I spent all my time most of my time uh, working to uh, to uh, make these rings that we didn't know what was going to happen with them. But, but it ended up working out for us. And, uh, and so sometimes I think you have to be all in and take a leap of faith, uh, maybe when it doesn't even seem wise. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it definitely does sound, sound risky. You know, like you're saying, you went into debt, credit card debt, you're going to school and ended up getting suspended. And pretty much this was... You're saying you're all in. If it didn't work out, you'd owe a lot of money, and then you'd also wouldn't have you know the certification or degree that you were going to school for. Did you ever at any point consider just kind of scrapping this idea and maybe going back and just focusing on 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 the classes, on the school, and then going through that first, and then revisiting this this um, at that time this kind of side not side project but this kind of uh, business that you're trying to start on the side? Uh, not in the beginning. So when I was when I got onto the project, when I decided to start doing it and, and start making the thing, it, it just became everything to me. I, I was in the workshop at night. Uh, I was uh, researching the market in the day, looking through what other people had made like me and trying to learn how, uh, how uh, putting things on social media, finding out what people thought about the rings. Everything I did uh, was the rings. I never, it never occurred to me to not do it. And I just, I just, got the credit card out and I bought things. Uh, I bought the materials and I bought the tools and I didn't even think about not doing it. It was just, uh, I just knew it. I, I felt like it would work and it made sense to me just to, to go all in on it. it after the Kickstarter, uh, things have uh, gotten hard at times. We invested a lot of money um, and we had, so it was difficult to scale everything at once. And so after the Kickstarter, as we've been running our own business, there have been times that I thought like, did I make the right decision by going into this right now? Um, because uh, you're right now that I have been academically suspended, I only had about, 
15 credits left. I had like one or two semesters left to finish up my engineering degree, which is a valuable degree. Um, I thought, did I make the right decision uh, by going all in and, and making these rings? And, and I, I feel like I did, I, you know, I, and I'm glad that I did it. And I think it's a blessing that this has happened, but it has been a fight to keep things alive at times. And uh, I've been asked to do things and asked to make decisions that I didn't suppose I would have to do when I started this business. Mm. Yeah, so I think it makes sense to uh, to address the, the the baby in the room. So, you, did you have a uh, did, did you have the, the baby during this whole period? Like, what was that? How did you balance? Uh, you know, raising. I guess uh, was it, is it a newborn? Yeah, no, no. We got um, we have a newborn baby. She was actually we found out. Um, so I had worked and um, on making the ring, and then we had planned. We had started. We built the Kickstarter, and we found out that uh, we were pregnant with Ruby on the same week that we started the Kickstarter. And so that happened. And then the Kickstarter ended and ended up being bigger than we thought it was. And I needed help to, to make sure that we could meet our commitments uh, to the best of our ability. So and Claire was writing a book at the time. And so she had to take time away from writing the book and she wasn't able to finish it until December because of that. And she still has work to do that she's put aside. Still needs to find a publisher, but she helps me and, and the baby, you know, there's the doctor's appointments and the health insurance and the money that you need to have a baby and the time it takes. To, yeah, for the record, it was really hard. Yeah, no, it's very hard. We, <laughs> we, had, like to make, we had to make a lot of 14-hour um, days, six days a week, most of the time, which is fine for me. I, I like working, but uh, we still, you know, you've got to take care of the family and the baby, too. And so there's been a lot of sacrifices made along the way to, to make this uh, business sustainable. Yeah. So, um, any tips then for anyone? I think uh, again, a lot of entrepreneurs are probably in the same uh, life stage where they are thinking about starting a family and are thinking about how can they earn more income for their family, even and or thinking about starting a business for that reason. Uh, you know, what 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 worked I guess for you to try to balance everything? You know, just hearing you talk about it is already exhausting me. I can't imagine what it's like to actually go through. So, any tips on on trying to balance uh, you know raising a family and starting a business at the same time? Claire and I are lucky that, uh, well, we've made choices that we work together. And so we're in the office together and the baby's here with us. And one of the things that we had to decide on early was that um, the value of our time. And, and so uh, when you when a business gets to a certain point, uh, you might want to do a lot of things still on your own and make sure they're done a certain way. But uh, you have to give things away to people. You have to let other people uh, do work so you can focus on other things. And we needed to, we, we decided that, uh, Claire, we had decided to get a babysitter, um, that is with us during the daytime, but helps take care of the baby while Claire's working because the value that Claire has to the business, uh, is greater than the cost of the babysitter. Mm. And there are lots of decisions like that along the way to where there you could do as a business owner, you might want to do lots of different things, but in order to grow, you have to evaluate what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you can give away to other people to do, and uh, make the decision and have the faith to give that thing away to a person when you know it'll add more value to the business than if you uh, had to do that spend your time doing it yourself. 
Yeah, I think that's an important point to make where a lot of new businesses will try to save too much money or try to hold on to too many things. And it could actually, you know, hurt you in the long run. You know, imagine if you were not, if you decided not to, to, uh, you know, invest or pay for a babysitter and then decided to watch the baby and try to run everything at the same time, you might not be in this position at all. You might have burnt out. You might not have gotten this far. I think that's an important thing to note that you, you know, cash is definitely important in the lifeblood of a business, but you should also not be too, I guess, stingy with your money and actually be be using it to to um for you for yourself up in your case or just to invest in places that will give you the value back for your money. Not just thinking about hoarding it and trying to save as much as possible. So I think that's an important point to make. Um, so let's talk about the Kickstarter then. It, it was like you're saying wildly successful, much more successful than you guys had anticipated because you only had a goal of eleven thousand five hundred dollars. Ended up raising over four hundred thousand dollars from three thousand four hundred thirty-one backers. Uh, so tell us about that. Like, maybe we'll start with the goal. Like, what what did you plan to do with that initial eleven thousand five hundred dollars? Oh, uh, the initial plan for me was to uh, have enough money to buy the machines I needed to make the rings. And over time, uh, I would continue to make money and buy more machines that would help me. And my dream at the start of this, why the reason I want to start a business as an engineer. Um, typically you go out into the world and work and if you work for Boeing, uh, an engineer doesn't actually build a plane. They, you know, they work on a couple bolts. They build a latch that opens the storage unit or, um, they do analysis on a wire that is supposed to, you know, adjust a wing, um, a wing flap. And so you just work on one little thing and I wanted to create whole things. And, uh, and so my plan was to do this Kickstarter in order to get me started to buy a machine that I needed to be able to make molds and work in carbon fiber, so eventually I could uh, have my have my own business where I could make the whole product that I wanted to, and not just have to work on one little thing or one little piece of a of a product. That's so. That's why we decided on that goal, uh, the eleven thousand five hundred dollars, I think it was, to to buy a machine that would help me make uh, the rings and also buy the materials to uh, to make them. Mm-hmm. Did you do any preparation before the Kickstarter launch? Like before the launch day, did you just kind of set it live or any? did you prepare anything in terms of PR or marketing leading up to the, the launch of the Kickstarter campaign? Yes. No, we did a lot of um, – so the primary preparation was to uh, make sure that we had a product that we could produce consistently and also that it was something that people would want. And the way that I – one of the other things that we did was that um, – I watched a lot of pretty much every design um, Kickstarter video and uh, that had happened. And I would pay attention to how they did and, and, and how they presented the product. And, and I looked at their websites and their products and i got a feel for what worked and what communicated with people and, and, um, and uh, kind of learned that language that was, uh, you know, the online language that people speak. And so we made sure that uh, we had things to help people understand that we were uh, legitimate and would <laughs> we weren't crazy and that we'd be able to, it would be worth them investing and taking a risk in us. And so part of that was making sure we uh, had the product and then we took photos of it that helped to represent what it looked like and the value of it. And we did research and wrote copy to help people understand um, the meaning behind it and the value of something that was how difficult it was to develop. And uh, we put things up on social media and we uh, started to advertise on, on Facebook. Uh, one, 
one thing that most people do for Kickstarter is gather email lists, which we did not do very much of because uh, I just didn't know about that part of it. I just knew about making something that was beautiful and, and then how to present it. But I didn't know that you needed so many contacts. So that's an important part. That I guess we didn't do that. We should have. It still worked out. Um, another thing that happened is there are companies that will uh, help you if you wanted to crowdsource. You have to be careful with those. There are some that are predatory. It's a very um, – to, to do crowdfunding, you have to open yourself up to the public and put yourself out there and share something with the world that – you know, it's very personal that you've sacrificed a lot for. Like I had sacrificed time and money and given up school. And, and so when I first did that product, a uh, project, uh, we, there was a, we got an email from a company that said they could help us to do well. And I looked at their website and it looks like some of the products they had done and done well. It's surprising because you can look at Kickstarter and there are products that are very good that, that don't do well. And there are products that you think have, like someone makes a fanny pack and for some reason a fanny pack makes $60,000. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so why, why did that happen? And, and this company had done that. They had taken products that sometimes they weren't that great, but they made a lot of money. And, and so I, I talked to them. And, and as I was talking to them, I discovered that uh, their primary goal was to uh, diminish uh, the value of what I had done and make me afraid that I wouldn't be able to do it without them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we said no to that, which was scary for us because we'd seen that some of the things they'd done in the past were successful and and, uh, and I was nervous about putting this video with my face on it, my voice, and this thing that I put so much into. And what if it failed? What if they were right that I hadn't done, I didn't have the email list that I needed, that it wouldn't work because I didn't have the email list that it would flop. And so uh, we put it up there. And, of course, it didn't flop. We got funded within, like, two or three days. And then we surpassed it. And, and of course, this company called again. And, and so I thought, well, regardless of their tactics of trying to recruit me, maybe there's still value. And them helping me find more clients. And so uh, they talked with me and the owner called. And and so I looked over the contract that they had. And the contract was extremely predatory. I'd never seen anything in my life. No New York City landlord-tenant contract is more predatory than this contract <laughs> that they give. And uh, and, and so I, I just said, no, This it was so dirty. that And, uh, and that was even still scary, but we did fine without them. So as, so in this situation, when you go into crowdfunding, you're starting a business, you are uh, vulnerable and there are people that recognize that. And so as you go into the world to find people to help you as marketers or suppliers, um, maybe be careful and cautious about what their motives are. And if it's someone that you can trust and uh, if it's someone that you want to work with, because there will be people, especially in crowdfunding, whether it's Indiegogo or Kickstarter, that will try to take advantage of you. So just yeah, be wary of it and maybe uh, have someone close to you, some friends and family uh, mentors that will help you see things as they really are and that don't have a motive to uh, try to milk you for money. Yeah, this happens a lot for any new business, whether it be on Kickstarter or, or any business that you start, is that once you come into the space, like you're saying, and, and make yourself available publicly, all of a sudden these, you know, quote unquote, opportunists or opportunities all of a sudden start popping up where vendors, agencies start reaching out to you to try to help you out. Of course, there's always legitimate ones, but like you're saying, your experience uh, with these uh, Kickstarter vendors were predatory. So tell us a little bit more about this. Like, What are some things that 
that came up, or what are some things that other Kickstarter campaign creators should look out for uh, in, ter- in the terms or in the deal uh, to make sure that they aren't you know, screwed uh, when they do work with any agencies or vendors to launch a crowd so- uh, crowdfunding campaign? Oh, yeah. I think the first thing is to uh, uh, consider the tactic that they use to recruit you. Like, what kind of letter did they write to you? Uh, or was it one, like for us, uh, they wrote an email that said, one thing and then we got online uh they said something else there was like a bait and switch that happened so you want to look for consistency in uh the communication between you and that vendor and another thing is references you want to look at what other people the experiences they've had with that company in the past and uh uh a very important thing is to just read the contract um which can be scary sometimes because you know we're not lawyers and at the time we couldn't afford a lawyer but but as we read the contract understand that uh, when you read a contract uh, and and you see something that looks fishy and doesn't seem right, when you ask the the vendor about it, they're going to find a way to say, oh, that doesn't really matter, or uh, don't worry, that never happens. Uh, it's in the contract because it, it does happen. They will take advantage of you in that mm. situation. Some of those things are like, uh, for this one company, there was a, like, uh, if you change the, uh, the passcode, within six months to, uh, I think it was six months to a year, we have within a year after you finish the Kickstarter on your Kickstarter site, uh, then they would automatically find you, how much was it, Claire? 60, it was like, yeah, it was like forty to $60,000. Wow. And, and like, if you, if you take, there's a button that you had to put on their page, like on your Kickstarter, you had to put like a little green button that said funded by, or some of, the, some of these buttons. And if you took that down, it was automatic like $5,000 charge. If you just didn't did that by mistake, they would charge you five grand. And, um, like you, you had to make a video within a certain amount of time validating their company. And, and on their site, I remember when I first went to their site, I watched their videos and they looked like hostage videos to me before I knew anything about them, uh, their company and the bad, um, their practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there, there were some fishy things there in the contract. And, um, so you read the contract, you look at other people that worked with them, talk to the people that worked with them and, uh, and understand that, whatever's in the contracts, you will be held to eventually. Like, and they will use that against you. So, so if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't just accept if the, if the vendor says that it's not going to be a problem or don't worry about it, understand that it's likely there will be. We didn't sign any of those contracts. Yeah, I mean, if any time a vendor or someone wants you to sign a contract and you're not comfortable with something and then they say that, don't worry, it's never going to happen, then they should be willing to change it for you, right? They should be able to change, should be willing to change it in writing for you if it's not that big of an issue. If they're not, then, like you're saying, it's kind of suspicious. So you went ahead anyway without working with these vendors and decided to do this by yourself. Uh, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time watching Kickstarter videos, and I've heard time and time again that one of the keys to a successful campaign campaign is in the video itself. It's one of the, uh, I guess, uh, areas of a campaign page that people look at the most. And since you've done the work already by watching so many, many of these videos, can you share some of the, the themes that you saw in a good kick in good Kickstarter videos? Oh yeah. No, I, I think the biggest theme is understanding that, uh, you wanted to add value to the world. So whatever your product is, um, uh, then, the purpose of it should be to help people in the world have a better life, you know, whether it's making them more comfortable or helping them to understand, uh, you know, uh, something better to have, uh, some kind of, um, thing that helps them know who they are. And in our case, it was, we, uh, had a product that 
um, would help people and to, to remember the promise they made, like there was meaning behind it. Um, so we had a ring that symbolized something. And we also had a ring that was made out of material that was uh, cutting edge, you know, forged carbon fiber, which was very difficult for us to develop. That process is still expensive and difficult to make. That's one of the things that helps me to appreciate the value of what we're bringing to the world is that that regardless of uh, other uh, our success being very public with the forged carbon fiber rings, no one else does it because it's very expensive and difficult to do. But, but so having something that adds value to the world, something that helps people um, attach uh, meaning to who they are, attach meaning to relationships. And because uh, we all, I think we, we want to connect to other people and we want to remember and we want people to know what we stand for. And so uh, make sure that that's something you care about. And then this, this thing uh, was something that I was willing to sacrifice for. And I think that was apparent in, in the video that uh, we had done the work and we had found something and we believed in it. And even though we were new and small and that we wanted to, and I feel like our enthusiasm for what we had made uh, sort of helped to light a fire with people to help them understand that spirit of, uh, of creating something and following a dream. And I think that helped you in the video. Mm. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you want to uh, explain the, the amount of effort that was put into creating this. It sounds like you want to also sell a little bit about your dream, about you personally, about your kind of goals with this. And of course, you also mentioned that you want to show that, that you're bringing value to the world. Did you see any videos there, I guess, were kind of the, well, maybe what is the antithesis of this? Like, what is the opposite of a good Kickstarter video? What have you seen that just doesn't look like a high converting? Kickstarter video, not, not specific products, but what about the video itself made it not a good video? Okay, well, you can think of like three different uh, examples. So the first one, uh, like for carbon fiber rings, if there uh, there were people that made rings, and uh, their their motive to make the rings, they said that, um, what did they say? They said that they saw that people were doing things out of carbon fiber, and so there was money in it, so they wanted to make money off of carbon fiber. And so they just took a tube of carbon fiber and chopped it up and sold it as rings. And so their motivation was just to make money. And so I, I think that, for one thing, it's very hard to make money when you start a business. And so money can't be the motivation because there's if you're going to start a successful business, when it's going to survive, you're eventually going to be um, driven to make the decision to sacrifice for it. You're going to have to take a risk and give almost everything to keep it alive. I think most successful businesses – there's going to be a point to where you're going to make the choice. Do I deliver on my promises and, and have to take on risk or do I just move on? And if it's just about money, of course, you're not going to do that. And so there's the first video type, which is being motivated by, we want to make more money. And we thought that you would like to buy this from us. So here, uh, but that isn't sustainable. And I think that people can sense that it's not real. There's no meaning behind it. And then the next motivation might be because, I don't know, you want to, you want it to be cool. Like, uh, we, there was another video that I saw for rings that the person said, uh, you know, I saw that women had all these choices on, uh, different wedding rings and I wanted to have a cool ring too. And I thought other people want to have cool rings. So let's go ahead and just make this cool ring and then you can buy it. So that was another, you know, level of it. Uh, so it wasn't just about money. It was about, looking right, looking good. 
And uh, so they were funded too. These were all funded products, um, all funded campaigns. And um, I feel like uh, what I tried to do with our campaign and what I tried to do with our product, why we're still doing it now, because we have had to make a lot of sacrifice and take a risk to keep it alive, and um, is make something that adds value to the world, that that it, 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 it is a well-made product. When people look at it or they put it on, they feel it, that it um, helps them appreciate that there's work and craftsmanship and that there's meaning behind it, that this ring symbolizes something more than just what it's made out of, that... Uh, just like gold symbolizes purity and not being able to be corrupted, that carbon fiber symbolizes uh, strength and unity between two things that are different but become super strong together. And so I think that on that level, if you're genuine and you're willing to sacrifice and there's meaning to it, that, that people will, will hear it. They'll hear you cry out into, the, into that dark world of the Internet and, uh, and help support you, which is what happened with us. And still happens today. We still fight and uh, struggle to to do things well and to bring value to people. Mm, amazing. So, uh, you finished uh, raising the over four hundred thousand dollars at the end or at the uh, beginning of August, uh, two thousand fifteen, last year. The build a business competition was that. Uh, when did you enter that contest? Like when was that? Was this after the Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, it was entered after the Kickstarter campaign in uh, August of last year. When we opened up the shop, one of my uh, past uh, partners went ahead and uh, set up the shop for us and ended the campaign. And, and uh, yeah, and then we were, uh, they let us know that we had, um, that we were winners in, uh, I believe it was February, uh, this January this year. Oh, July. Okay. Yeah. My wife, she, my wife does so much of this, uh, of this business that I don't know something. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so July of this year, they let us know that we won. Very cool. So during this period, like, what did you, like, how did you win the competition, right? Because the competition is about, is it about who can essentially sell the most products? Like, what were the metrics behind uh, determining a winner for this competition? Oh, uh, so the basic metrics, they tried to normalize it and make it fair by, um, for every product you sold, up to $100, that revenue counted towards, um, you know, uh, you winning. And it was the person that made the most money, but if you were on Shopify and you sold helicopters and you sold like two helicopters, then you'd probably make, you know, two to $3 million. I don't know what a helicopter costs, but if you sell bows, then, you know, you'd have to sell a lot more bows. So you don't really get to compete. So the way they normalized it was, um, for every item you sold a hundred dollars of that went towards, uh, the pot or the, or the scale that was rising to see, who won? And with us, uh, we we sold a lot of rings, and our rings cost between the average cost of the rings one hundred fifty dollars. So for every ring we sold, um, you know, hundred dollars of that went to the uh, the uh, pot of uh, us building up revenue. And, and within our our um, category, which was uh, I believe uh, crafts and jewelry, Claire, is that right? Yeah, we so there's about four categories, five categories actually, I think. And within our category of crafts and jewelry, we generated the most revenue in this uh, period to uh, win the Build a Business Award, which was phenomenal. Uh, so mm, that's awesome. So in that time, or I guess um, from the end of Kickstarter campaign to today, can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today? Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, since the end of the Kickstarter, 
uh, we've generated uh, about $1.7 million and sold around 11,000 rings. Uh, and um, yeah, so that's where we are. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So what, what what contributed to the, I guess, fast growth of your store? I mean, you know, we I'm talking to you now in September 2016. So the Kickstarter campaign only ended a little bit over a year ago. What what, what drove the success of the store itself, like to get all that traffic and all of those sales to the store so quickly to win the competition? Yeah, I think the uh, – and so as – this is the interesting thing about – the, the the world that we're in now with the internet and with funding and, and how things are available to people. One of the things that we notice is that, um, so as individuals, we're very, you know, we have different tastes and very unpredictable, but as, as society, as just large numbers, um, it becomes kind of predictable. And so one thing that, that uh, helps me to keep going forward is that we've seen traditionally that for every person that comes to our site, um, we end up getting a dollar of revenue. And, uh, and so we've worked very hard to try to drive revenue to our site. And the biggest driver to our site, of course, has been social media. That's where very much of marketing is going now because it's, uh, it's, um, trackable and, you know, Facebook and Facebook knows what kind of things people like. And so we, um, so Facebook, uh, post and Facebook, ads have helped us to drive most of our traffic. And the way that that's worked for us is we start by, uh, we started by supposing what kind of people will like our rings and we would send out, um, a shotgun blast to the world of, uh, people to see, um, who would like to be interested in our rings. And, and so we sent those ads out and then we would get back people coming to our site and we'd pay attention to, uh, who would like our Facebook page and who would buy rings off our site and with that information, we can narrow down the type of people uh, that want the kind of rings that we sell, that, that hear the voice that we have. And so we would narrow down the, uh, the, um, the audiences. We would narrow down the audiences, demographics, to, uh, and the locations to uh, those people that are more likely to buy the rings. And this whole time, a very important part of it is Facebook pixels. And so you make these ads and you find these demographics. And then while you're doing that, you uh, have a Facebook pixel on the Shopify site and then on your Facebook page and then your Facebook ads accounts that will pay attention to uh, who is coming. And in addition to finding people in those areas of those demographics, Facebook will um, amplify your efforts by, you know, sending your ads to people and narrowing down on its own with their algorithms the kind of people that will like the things that you're selling. And, and so that's driven a whole lot of traffic to our site and helped us develop revenue. Hmm. So this sounds like obviously a lot of hard work, but I like the way you talk about it because it's pretty straightforward. So you first, under, I'm going to break this down a little bit. So you first understood that each visitor to your site was worth a dollar. Um, we'll, we'll start there. How did you, uh, and how did you look at, or how did you find this out? Like, how did you figure out this, this data point? Oh yeah. One of the great things about Shopify is the back end. Uh, so, it makes it digestible to look at the numbers. You can see who's buying, how many buy, where they're buying from. And, and so the basic idea of it is you take the number of people that visit the site and uh, compare it, like divide that by mm -hmm. the dollars you get. And so you can see how many visitors per dollar. And, um, and if you divide our revenue pretty much every month for the last 14 months, um, you can do it by week, by month, by year. It almost always, 
maybe not by day, but like by every week, you know, or every month, you can take the number of people that visit the site and divide it by the uh, revenue that you made, and it ended up being a dollar. Mm. And so that's that's another great thing about the Shopify backend is you have this data, but you have to understand how to attach quality to it, um, how to how to understand what it means. And so one of the ways is like how much dollar per revenue that we get. And so we and that's the, the dollar per revenue thing. It's something that drives faith in me and helps me to understand like when when we have a bad day or we're not getting sales, I can I can know. If people are coming to the site, then eventually that's going to turn into money. Mm. So that helps me to keep going, whatever. You just sorry, you said a dollar per revenue. Do you mean a dollar per, per visitor or dollar per revenue? Yeah, we have a dollar per revenue per visitor um, uh, for our site. Okay, so you knew that this this was the I guess the uh, the amount that you could spend up to 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 get a customer. Then at that point, you knew it was just kind of a numbers game. How do you scale this up? So you went to uh, Facebook, like you're saying, and you did some. It sounded like some just very broad targeting based on uh, you know what you were assuming at the very beginning was your target audience. And then you ran these campaigns. Do you remember how much you were sp- spending at first to test the, test the waters? Yeah, initially we were spending around $200 a day during the Kickstarter. And uh, then we ended up moving up to about $600 a day. And eventually we got to the point where we were spending at, during Christmas time around $2,000 a day. And uh, we would, and on Facebook you can track the success of it and almost any other kind of ad uh, campaign about um, for every dollar you spend, how many interactions do you get? Like how many people actually will click on your ad or come to your site or even um, how many people purchase from your campaign, which is the great thing about the internet with this pixel. And so um, we ended up our, in the beginning we were spending about uh, a penny uh, per someone actually coming to visit our site. And then when we got a little bit inefficient, it was about 40 cents for every visitor. And now we're back to about, you know, 13 cents per visitor our site, because it's not something that scales like the more money you put in, typically the less efficient it gets. But you accept that you will make money over time with it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, there's some automation to this. Like you were saying, the conversion pixel from Facebook being placed on the conversion or the thank you confirmation page will help Facebook's algorithm uh, target the right types of people that are likely to convert. But you also mentioned it sounded like some kind of manual, uh, I guess, analysis that you did to find out who was interested in the products. You looked at who, who, was, who ended up buying. You looked at who was interacting with your, with your page, who was liking your page. Can you talk a little about this? Like how, I guess, manual was this process? Like what were you doing exactly to understand more about your market? Oh, it's, it's still extremely manual. Like, I like, um, so we have the, the campaigns that are running on their own, but generally we find, and this is always, I think this is maybe one of the things that helped our Kickstarter is that we... Uh, made sure that we interacted on a personal level uh, with the people that wanted to be our clients. We, we found that as we would talk with them and answer messages in a real way, with not we don't have any robots or anything, we, that more people uh, you know, understand the value and uh, purchase our product. And so I, you know, I, I, I still, all the, um, all the messages that come in from our Facebook page still show up in my personal email and I, I still read all these messages and I, every day I look through the comments of people that have uh, written on our ads and I respond to comments and, and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I email and call people personally, you know, when I, whenever I, I actually message a person, usually I give them my, my phone number and I, I talk to, you know, with lots and lots of people personally about what they're buying and 
I'll email them personally from my personal account. So, so uh, I, I, I interact with people that interact with us. And I think that's one of the reasons that we have loyal clients that are willing to help us and uh, to share it with their friends, what we're making and to understand the value. Because it's, it's a real thing where we make the rings ourselves. We do the manufacturing ourselves. In America, it's been hard for me to do. It's a new thing that we're learning. And where we do the marketing and we the shipping and uh, yeah, and I, I look through the Facebook pages of people that like our page, and uh, I, I share on Instagram, and I, I interact with them on Instagram, so I can understand more about who they are and connect with them. So it, it there's there's always like there's the there's always numbers, and then there's heart, and and so you have to have both in order to I think be successful. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes there's a little bit too much emphasis on the scalable side. How can we just look at kind of raw data, raw numbers, and just let the machines figure it out? But, you know, obviously, there's a lot of value in just looking at and talking to uh, customers and kind of understanding more about them just by speaking to them. So do you you, you actually, you know, talk to these um, customers, potential customers of yours, learn more about what they're like and actually use that to change the the Facebook ads? Like what are you doing with this information that you kind of collect in your, in your brain just from talking to these people? Oh yeah, no, of course. So, um, like whenever I, like I remember I was, uh, we had someone that had, uh, abandoned their cart. And so I went ahead and started emailing with them and I, I said like, Hey, we're new at this. I'm trying to figure out what to do. Um, you, you want to let me know, uh, so what's going on. And, uh, and they said like, Oh, well, it's just, uh, you didn't have this payment method. I'm like, Oh shoot. I didn't know we didn't have that, so I'll put PayPal up, and then it'll be easier. So they were able to help me figure out uh, what happened. And on Facebook, I would uh, message with um, with this fellow. Uh, I, I just remember him because he's a uh, he's from England, and there's a picture of him on a horse. But he looks like a cowboy, but he's from England, so that always stuck with me. Anyway, so so this guy helped me to understand uh, some of the complications that come about um, mailing things to the UK, and so he he helped me to understand. Uh, how to better set up our shipping so it uh, made people uh, receiving product from different countries have a better experience. And um, just in general, I, I, I can see the kind of um, uh, things that people like, and usually it's the same things that I like uh, on the for the people that like our page or the people that share the Instagram or follows on Instagram. And, and so we uh, make sure that the, that the photos uh, and our copy help to reflect the um, interest and the things that are important to the type of people that like the things that, that buy the things that we sell. Mm. So even at this point in your business where, you know, generating, like you said, $1.7 million in the last year, 11,000 rings, all these things going on in your life, you still find that your time is worthwhile to spend just talking and learning more one-on-one with, with customers that are, you know, willing to interact with you. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And, uh, at some point, uh, there's always the fear, like, what if we get overwhelmed? Like, mm-hmm. and like on a personal number, what if someone, you know, badgers me, or if I end up pers- if this person's, uh, you know, crazy, or if, if they're trying to steal something, and I, you know, but I think if you take the risk and you share and open up and make yourself available to people, you'll find that um, almost everyone is uh, is is a good person, and that people don't want to take advantage of you. People just want to uh, to just connect and to be treated fairly. I, I remember one. There was one woman that uh, we were having problems uh, processing her refund because of the way that um, she had paid for it. She had uh, 
it was uh, there was a credit card complication and it, we were trying to get her money back um and so uh, she he, and so she had been going through one of our customer service reps and and so somehow i guess she got a hold of me on facebook and started talking and uh and so I just said, oh, okay, I'm sorry, that's been a problem. Uh, I'll just give you the money through PayPal. That's easy. So I just gave her the money and refunded her the money or offered to send her a check. But she, look, she had PayPal, so I just gave her the money back. And for some reason, I felt like maybe I should ask her, you know, uh, uh, so uh, what's going on? And it had turned out that um, that that her that she had a ring that she had purchased, and uh, it was going to be for her fiancé, and he had passed away in a car accident. And, and so we uh, – because and it made me grateful that we had started talking to her. And so we, we continued to communicate with her. And, and if for some reason uh, the numbers or this customer service had said, sorry, we can't do the refund or we made her life harder, I would have felt terrible. Mm-hmm. But because I was available on Facebook and she was able to luckily contact me, we were able to try to help her in this time of mourning uh, to maybe – maybe make at least not make her life harder and and so i'm grateful that i was available to at least her to to, to not have to feel that i'd hurt anyone or made anyone's mm-hmm. life more difficult especially in a bad time and that wouldn't have happened if you know me and my wife hadn't taken the risk of making ourselves available to people yeah i can definitely see why that does give you kind of the like you're saying i think the faith and the motivation to keep on doing this hearing these Kind of stories directly from your, you know, from your customers. Um, so, you know, what, what are the plans for uh, for the next year? Like, what do you guys have going on? Because, you know, the the, rank, the Kickstarter campaigns ended a year ago. Won the Shopify Build a Business competition, one point seven million dollars in sales. Like, what, what's next for you guys? Oh, um, so, one of the great things about having a business is that it gives you a reason to go ahead and and uh, explore things that maybe you couldn't justify exploring before. Like, uh, I wanted. I'd always wanted to work with Damascus Steel, but it's very expensive and difficult to learn how to work with. But because we have a business and we make jewelry, I was able to buy Damascus Steel and spend time and make connections and get educated on how to work with it. So we were able to make Damascus Steel rings, and now I have a Damascus Steel collection. And uh, just recently, uh, I've always loved uh, space, and, and so I've always wanted to have media rights. But they're very expensive because uh, there, are, there aren't – a lot of media rights floating around, you know, mm-hmm. well, not floating, but on the earth anymore. But uh, because of the business, I can start to look into um, working with meteorite. And I, I just got uh, a several samples of meteorite, uh, you know, this week. And so we'll begin adding meteorite to our collection eventually, uh, which I'll, I'll start to make watches. Uh, um, and so having a business, I think – now that we're able to make the rings and we're uh, able to keep track, keep up with our orders and have a, a system involved to where we can consistently produce um, this product and help out our customers and understand more about marketing, uh, I have the time to develop new things, which is what I've always wanted to do as a, as a designer and a maker. I, I wanted to make a watch. And, and so having this business makes it to where I can begin to um, – make that watch and work with materials that otherwise I couldn't justify working with. Very cool. So it sounds like a lot of exciting uh, products coming out from you guys. So, you know, thanks so much, John and Claire. So carbon6rings.com, again, it's a website. Anyone else you recommend the listeners check out they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Oh, yeah, so we've got our Facebook page, and there's also uh, carbon underscore six underscore rings on Instagram. And, uh, 
and Claire, what was the, the uh, YouTube page that you just started? Yeah, uh, we have a YouTube page. There's a link at the bottom of our website. Yeah, yeah. So if they can see us there, we're going to start making videos about uh, the rings and the process and, and uh, what we're learning as we go on, you know? Yeah, no, it definitely sounds exciting. So we'll link all that up in the show notes again. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you very much, Felix. It's really good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.